Spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. Crash landed. From comics to video games. From the cinematic universe to television. Connecting you to the biggest stars in the industry. Something out there had discovered us. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. This week's podcast, you could say it's jet-setting. It's episode 344 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham. Hopefully you had a wonderful Thanksgiving, whatever you ended up doing. And hey, I'm very thankful that I got a chance to chat with Jason Inman and Ashley V. Robinson about Jupiter Jet and the Forgotten Radio. That's a volume two of Jupiter Jet. It's finally here from Action Lab, and of course the Kickstarter that Jason and Ashley did. We'll talk all about what's going on with that book, and maybe get him to drop a few teases or two about stuff that's coming up as well. I know how big this week was in comics, too. I mean, DC's Black Label, the other history of the DC Universe dropped. Some big Fantastic Four news as well from Marvel. We'll talk about that. We also have Kobo back as our sponsor this week. Oh, some great deals on amazing audiobooks, free trials. Yeah, I'll give you all the information that you need coming up here shortly. But first, going to kick things off with a kind of spoiler-ish, maybe not too many spoilers. My review of Run from Hulu is up next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Malcolm Barrett from Timeless, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Anybody feel like going for a run? I mean, you don't even have to get up. You just turn on Hulu right there. It's Run. And it's a movie that's been it, it's been talked about a lot already. So I figured, you know, I should talk about it too, right? My spoiler-ish review of the movie coming up now. No, I'm not going to reveal any like major plot details or anything like that. But are, there are some things that I'm going to have to talk about in order to review this movie. So minor spoilers here coming up. And the story follows Diane, who is a mother, is played by Sarah Paulson, and her daughter, Chloe, played by Kira Allen. And Chloe is, she she has a lot of medical issues. She's a wheel, a wheelchair user, as is Kira Allen, by the way. So, I mean, you want to talk about an authentic casting, that certainly that that certainly fits that bill for sure. And, and she does an amazing job, too, by the way. And it, and it really shines through. In this movie, but I'll get back to that here in a second. But she she keeps Chloe in isolation as well. I mean, Chloe does have a lot of medical issues. You know, you could you could say maybe she's protecting her, but you always kind of feel. I mean, even though if you saw the trailer, you know the premise, you know that something's up with Diane. But but at the same time, even if you didn't, you'd kind of know something's not quite right here. And and Chloe's very smart too, by the way. I mean, she might be in isolation and all these other things, but. I mean, she's she seems to be seems to be on the surface being treated well by her mother. She's very smart. She's been homeschooled and homeschooled homeschooled very well. But her being smart also leads her to kind of be suspicious at a certain point. And and how could you not be? But especially with a smart young lady like Chloe, she's not going to just stay in the dark forever. And this is where the story kind of starts to take its shape. It takes a little bit of time to get there. But it does take its shape. Now, we do see Chloe use some very clever and unconventional methods to try and figure out what exactly is going on with her mom and what is this truth that she is kind of keeping from her or hiding from her, depending on that perspective. And when I say clever, I mean really clever. Some of the situations that Chloe ends up in in this movie are are, are pretty interesting and some of the ways that she finds her way, you could say, out of them or even into them. And you'll, you'll understand that more once you see the movie. It's not something that you see every day in movies, especially from characters with disabilities. And she is, I mean, you want to talk about capable. This young woman is capable. Disability or no, it does not slow her down one bit in any way, shape, or form, whether it be intellectually, physically, she knows how to get it done. Let me just put it that way. And and she, and for the lack of a better term, she kicks her own ass in this movie at times to be able to do what she needs to do to find out the truth. And that is no spoiler. Let me just tell you right now, I, I was surprised at some of the things this this young woman was willing to put herself through to get through. I'm just saying, it it was pretty incredible. If you're watching it now, we also kind of see Diane 
slowly unravel with each truth that her daughter discovers. And we also get to see some stuff about Diane's past as well and, and what she went through like during the birthing process and stuff like that. Not the actual birth, but there's something happens in her past that really sets up what's going on in this movie. We don't get to see a whole lot with Diane and how she unravels. We just sort of see the the aftermath of said unraveling, as it were. Now, the premise is actually a really, really good one. And, and the story certainly has a lot, a lot of bright points, but there's also... A couple of head-scratching moments for me, and, 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 and I can't—I feel like I'm not doing my job if I don't point this out. Because Diane very carefully plans certain things about Chloe's life, right? She's clearly very meticulous in her details. She's thought a lot of things through. Nobody's perfect, right? But she does make a couple of kind of ridiculous errors, and maybe you could kind of brush them off. And, I, and this is where i got to be careful here because I'm not going to spoil anything for you. But there's a couple things that happens in this movie. And, and I, I just go, really? You, you, you did that? Why on earth would you do that? Why, why on earth would you take that chance? And it's just, for somebody that seems to have planned this out as well as Diane did, that I was like, I'm just really surprised that this actually happened. There's also, she also kind of does one thing. That I mean, she, that's the other thing. It's like surely a couple of things that she does would have the authorities going, okay, hold on a second, right? Or at least somebody, not necessarily the, the authorities, but somebody in this in this clearly not large town, right? Because it's it's almost like the only stereotypical part of this movie, by the way, and, and this is this movie is very much original in its in its way. The only stereotypical thing here is young girl from a small-ish town wants to leave, go to a big college and make something of herself. And, and that is a trope that's not even a major part of the, of the story. You almost don't even notice it. So I'm not a, so I certainly don't count that as a failing. But at the same time, it, it's like this is a small-ish town. And, and you even see that in this little like support group meeting that happens in the beginning of the movie. You can actually see a clip from that on, on, on our YouTube page. You'd think that somebody would wonder what's going on. And, and her mood in that particular scene, too, doesn't really match with the tone of the rest of her character in the movie. Maybe it's just a disdain for other people in general. I don't know. I mean, you'd have to, you're going to have to be the judge of that. But once you do get to the climax of the movie, not necessarily the very end, but the climax of the movie, I mean, the, the, you could maybe nitpick that a little bit, saying it's kind of suspect how, you know, everything sort of gets to where it is at that climactic point. You know, it's maybe it's a reach. I don't know. I I, I kind of go back and forth on that. But the one thing that is 100% certain is that Sarah Paulson and Kiara Allen both give amazing performances in this movie that is very much centered around them. We get a lot of Chloe, too, as well. We get to see a lot of Kiara Allen on the screen and that's just it too you've got the star power of sarah paulson and yet you still have the confidence enough to focus on the character that you need to be focusing on and that is chloe and a very you know and a much less experienced actress in kira allen and they just do they do a phenomenal job with it they 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 knew exactly how they needed to tell their story and de- didn't lean into the star power like a lot of movies would would you know kind of tend to do and that's not to say that this movie lacks that star power either it this movie focuses on the character that it needs to focus on and they make a one of the stronger depictions of a disabled character i think i've seen in any movie or television series or anything like that you just don't see this Right. And, so, and we're talking about somebody that's been disabled since day one and not just and, and she doesn't just play the smart one either. She's in Sarah Paulson's character. Diane even says this in the movie. You know, if anybody's capable, it's Chloe. And she's right about that. That is one thing that is plain, plainly obvious throughout this entire movie is how capable Chloe really is, and that ultimately led to, you know, how things started unraveling in this movie, quite frankly. So it's it's almost like Diane created her own problem in, in an interesting way, which, I mean, that's something you can explore 
throughout this movie. But don't think I'm dumping on the movie either. There was a, there, there was a lot to love about it. It wasn't as it wasn't as edge of your seat for me as it was for some other people. I'm not exactly sure why that is. There, there were certainly a plenty of moments of tension, and there's a lot of emotional moments there as well. So don't think I'm dumping on it. I just feel like it needs to be pointed out that this movie is not perfect. It's definitely, it's very good, and you should be watching it on Hulu, by the way. But it is, it is not perfect, but it doesn't necessarily need to be either. But, I mean, if you're going to give this maybe a solid, like, seven and a half, seven and a half out of ten, if i got to put a number on it, that's probably what I would put on it. And that's a damn good score as far as I'm concerned. So, I mean... You watch Run on Hulu, see for yourself. If you want to yell at me, go ahead. Wouldn't be the first time you can yell at me and say this was a perfect movie. I loved it. You can love it, and I don't. You can love it, and I'm not going to necessarily love it as much as you do, and vice versa, by the way. That, that works the other way around plenty, I'm sure. So I'm just saying, definitely watch it. You're going to enjoy it. But I, I'm, I'm, I can't put it in the 10 out of 10 category that some people are putting it in. I just can't do that, despite the amazing performances of the, of the two lead actors. That's going to do it for my spoiler-ish review of Run from Hulu. Up next, yeah, going to be talking to Jason Inman and Ashley V. Robinson. Let's get into the Forgotten Radio next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is comic book creator Jerry Conway, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. If you've been waiting for that long-awaited sequel to Jupiter Jet, it is finally here from Action Lab. Oh, there was Kickstarter, too, as well. We'll get into that in a second. The Forgotten Radio is now here, and I actually have been waiting for a long time to talk to these two about almost anything because they're so amazing. It's Jason Inman, Ashley V. Robinson. How you doing? We're doing so well. Thank you for having us and for rescheduling. It's been a journey, and we are so happy to be here. Yeah, and we're excited about talking about Jupiter Jet 2. I mean, we've been excited to talk about that for almost three years. I mean, I was just going to ask you about that, actually. I mean, think back to when it first became a reality, that first volume. Did you guys ever think that there you'd be here talking about volume two, especially after three years? To be honest with you, no. We always had this plan for five volumes, you know, we know. And I, I think that's always a good idea. Like, even if you don't think you're ever going to write them, they'll like sort of like plant seeds that can later grow into actual you know, beautiful flowers. But in all reality, like I always thought that was like sort of a pipe dream because I didn't think that Jupiter jet would be as well received as it was. And then when we got the Ringo nomination and then we started going to cons and, you know, we were like the moment we knew it had to become reality was we constantly had fans. And, and I thank them for this ask us when volume two was coming. And so we finally just got to the point where we were like, we, well, we have to write it. No doubt about it. You you guys actually went back to Kickstarter for the second volume after having such success with volume one there as well. How was that experience with backers different this time around? And was or or was it do you think that was what it was having that first volume out already or is there more to it than that, you think? It's interesting because with Kickstarter for the second volume, we had a very limited number where you could get volume one and volume two together, or you could pick up uh, a complete Jawin comics package, including uh, science as well. And we sold out of those so quickly. And I would have thought that this group was a lot of people showing up just for volume two who knew us from our other work or were around from volume one. And it seems like it was a lot of newcomers, which is so exciting. And so we wound up uh, listing a couple more volumes. So our personal collection of Jupiter Jet volume one uh, has severely dwindled since the Kickstarter, but I couldn't be more happy that that is the case. Dwindling collections on your case is, de- is definitely good news if it's your own book. There's no doubt exactly. about that. <laughs> so being spoiler free, of course, let's dive into the story a bit because you guys really turn up the sci-fi elements I felt like in this volume. At the same time, how hard was it for you to take this story, at least in part, out of Olympic Heights? For our side, not really that hard. We always knew the sequel was going to go to space. We always knew the sequel was going to go to space. And we said this in a couple of places, but like kind of each volume of Jupiter Jet is sort of designed to homage like a different era of storytelling. And part of that is designed to like show Jupiter Jet's growth as a character, but also to just give the readers something different. Because I think that's always a problem with sequels is that if you're literally just telling a story that is version one, just with some extra stuff, 
then what's the point? You want to push your character into a situation that they've never been in before. And that and then that's the reason why it was so easy to take this character to space, because you know, I don't know, jetpack girl with a with a with a helmet is just perfectly designed. I mean, we always think Flash Gordon, we think Adam Strange. Like there are so many characters that exist in that headspace. I mean, in fact, when we gave her her helmet in volume one, right before she went to space or redesigned space helmet, uh, I intentionally told our artist Ben Matsuya to reference Adam Strange. Nice, nice. Do you actually feel like that was a life experience that Jackie kind of needed to though to kind of help her grow up in a way as well? Yeah, I would say so because um you know, a big theme that we have running through Forgotten Radio is the fact that it's been a year after Volume 1. She has beat her first villain. And like a lot of people, you know, whether you were in your job or whether you were in your life, once you encounter like this big event, right? The second time you encounter something like that, you think you can easily conquer it. And the big lesson that Jackie learns in this second volume is that she doesn't know everything, which is, you know, the the eternal lesson that we should all learn in life is that no matter how smart we are, we always can learn. And, and, and that's the big thing that we threw at Jackie. It's like the next villain you face, you're not going to be able to beat them exactly the same way. You're going to have to change your tactics and changing the setting just really fit right with that. But also, I feel like uh, this volume picks up one year later than volume one. So she was 16 when we first met her. Now she's 17. And I feel like this adventure is very much the uh, Stevie Nicks song, Edge of 17. Nice. Where she is so close to being an adult and she's just come through this huge life experience. But she definitely gets hit in the face with the fact that she doesn't know as much as she thinks she does. And even though we don't have, I still think we have a pretty big reveal, but we don't have like an earth shattering reveal like we do in volume one here. Jackie has, I think, harder lessons to learn in this volume than she does in a grappling with the truth of her reality like she did in the first volume it's funny i was just getting ready to tease that reveal actually of course we're not going to spoil anything but how important was it to make that that particular reveal such a major part of this second volume we keep leaning into the mic at the same time and then trying to like politely be like, no, you That's do okay. it. No, you Get do it. closer. You guys, you know, it's it's the same household kind of thing. It's it's. I, I'm Canadian. I can't, I can't help myself. Uh, <laughs> oh, the exciting audio adventures of video stuff that you can't see. I know, it. right? Love it, love Podcasting it. Let's describe it visual medium. <laughs> uh, we always knew that this reveal was going to happen in this volume. And we always knew that this character was going to turn out to be be who they are as previously alluded to in volume one uh the minute we wrapped volume one it was oh insert name of character here is going to be in volume two uh ostensibly one might say as the villain but there's kind of uh there's kind of no real villain in this volume there's definitely people with a questionable motivations but it's a lot more like the real world whereas pluto in volume one obviously a villain and this character's ramifications are going to carry far beyond this volume as well. I think that's probably safe to say. We're talking to Jason Inman and Ashley V. Robinson, of course, creators of the of Jupiter Jet. And the Forgotten Radio Volume 2 of the series right now is available. And I, I got to tell you, I don't think we could talk about the Forgotten Radio, though, without talking about Chuck. And I love Chuck from the first volume. How fun was his arc to put together for this particular story? And when are we getting that Chuck spinoff that we know everybody wants. Oh, man, I am so happy you say that because I have actually said to Ashley several times that I'm like, maybe we're going to do a one-shot with Chuck before we do yes. Jupiter's at Volume yes. 3 just because where we leave him... And this is no spoiler for anybody out there, but like Jupiter Jet and the Forgotten Radio is... You know, you have Jupiter Jet and you have her brother Chuck, and... She grows up, but so does he. So he's now 11, and of course, this is his journey to being a superhero. And he ends the book in a pretty good place, and he does end the book set up for a perfect adventure to like be on his own. And, and Chuck is so interesting because Ashley and I describe Chuck, her little brother, as, you know, he's an engineer, and he's very confident, and he's also very mouthy. And we have to be careful because... If we don't watch out for this in our rewriting or our second and third drafts, Chuck will take over the book. He's oh. like one of these characters that he will steal the book away from Jupiter Jet. And we have to keep being like, the book is called Jupiter Jet. It's not called Saturn Scout. Putting that little winky wink, you'll understand what that means. Even though that was dropped in volume one, but you'll understand. Yeah, we really wanted to progress him a little bit more, 
make him adult. By the time you get to the end of Jupiter Jet and the Forgotten Radio, I think you're going to understand why we took Chuck on the journey we are, because Volume 3 is a lot of going to have some Batman and Robin vibes. Ooh, I like that. I like that. I want to dive into the art for a second because you guys, you mentioned this a couple minutes ago. First of all, I love Nicola Scott. You guys were lucky, so lucky to get her to do a cover for this second volume. I want you to both talk about, though, for a minute about uh, Ben Matasuya and John Boy Myers and adding Elizabeth Kramer into the mix. How amazing was it to work with that art team? Everybody that we have had the great fortune to work with on Jupiter Jet has been totally amazing. We were able to get a lot of the band back together. Uh, Ben Matsuya was our series artist. He was the first collaborator that we had working with us uh, on Jupiter Jet Volume 1. Our original colorist, Mara Jane Carpenter, is hashtag booked and blessed, and she actually uh, recommended Liz Kramer, our colorist, who jumped in and totally crushed it and is so good, and we're so lucky that we got her and that she was a... Now she's super booked and blessed as well. So we're like bleeding talented colorists. And then, like, having Nicola and John Boy deign to spend their talent on our little indie book is so flattering because they are two people who, before we started working in comics, we admired so much. And they're two such lovely, beautiful human beings. And all we did was send them an email in volume one and said, would you please help us? And they said, yeah, sure. You kids seem okay. Uh, and everybody, uh, Taylor Esposito's back on letters. And we have Carlos Mongual doing a lot of the heavy lifting on the design, which is so great because that means that uh, Jason doesn't have to do as much of the back matter as he did in volume. So like everybody who's working with the book makes it better. And I think that is the best part about comics. It's kind of what's really great about theater is it is so collaborative. Mm -hmm. And when you can get people around you who are very, very talented, it makes everything that you do easier. No doubt about it. Now, we actually get more into the Praetors in this story, in this second volume. So what would you say makes them a bigger threat this time around? Well, the Praetors are, of course, Jupiter Jet's ongoing antagonists. And, you know, basically the simple way are they're, they're aliens that have enslaved humans. That's like the big twist you find out at the, the, the end of Volume 1 because it's very intentional and kind of a reference that old series V that when you first saw Pluto's glasses come off in Volume 1 that he looks like a lizard. The interesting thing about this time around is that we didn't want to just repeat Jupiter Jet fighting a Praetor in a fist-to-fist battle. This is encountering, she encounters Praetor Venus, and Praetor Venus is very cunning, very smart, and also actually has one panel of a fight with Jupiter Jet in Volume 2, which is might be a lot of surprising. A lot of people are hearing that right now, and they're like, there's no fight in this book? Yeah. What the hell's wrong <laughs> with you? Oh, well, there's fights. <laughs> well, I'm there not even going to fight stupid thing. I can put those fears to rest, too. There's, there's fights. Don't worry about yeah. it. They're saying, I'm reading this all-ages book for the violence. Yes. <laughs> um, but Praetor Venus is going to factor even more. Praetor Venus is not going anywhere anytime soon in the Jupiter Jet franchise legacy. Praetor Venus, in a lot of ways, is the true villain of this entire series, of the entire franchise, of all five vol- volumes. And there's always that theory, right, of the muscle villains and the brain villains. And Praetor Venus is the brain villain. So she's not going anywhere. And I think if you guys have read Volume 1 and now you're reading Volume 2, Praetor Venus drops a lot of stuff that expands where the Praetors are going or what we're going to reveal at the Praetors. Like, we find, they, like she names like what their species is, like what their little kingdom is called in Volume 2, finally, for the first time. And all kinds of like weird, interesting stuff that's going to activate hopefully in volume three, volume four, volume five. So as we progress things here, now that Jackie's kind of coming into her own as a superhero and expanding horizons a little bit, I can't help but wonder what would be that dream comic book crossover for Jupiter Jet if you could choose anybody? So a lot of people have been asking us Wonder Woman recently, given oh. uh, the news, which would be very, very flattering, but... I could be self-serving and say that I want her to cross over with science, which is our other book. But honestly, a big inspiration and one of the reasons why we initially went with Action Lab is because uh, Jason and I love Molly Danger, who is another oh, jetpack girl. 
And I think that they would look dope on a cover together. And I think that their mythologies, even though Molly Danger uh, skews a little younger readers than we do with Jupiter Jet, I think that those two girls could get up to some fun together. I'm going to throw out another one, too, because you said anybody. I'm going to throw out uh, Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur. Oh, Lunella. That would be awesome. Because I think think Jackie would love riding the dinosaur. And I think Chuck and um, Moon Girl would just knock it along. But... (laughs) Then they'd fall in love. I think they'd end up, they'd, at the end of the story, they'd end up being like the biggest crushes on each other. That would be so, so interesting. But I mean, is there, is there anybody that wouldn't love to ride a dinosaur except for maybe like that one lawyer from Jurassic Park? Or Jeff, or Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> oh, or Jeff Goldblum. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So let's, you guys do a lot more than just create comics, though. You're also, you do such a wonderful job with Geek History Lesson and, and so active on social media as well, in the medium and other things as well. This is kind of a broad question, but I figured I've got you guys. I might as well go ahead and ask this, especially in in the year that we've had this year. What do you guys kind of think the future of the comics industry is as a whole right now, especially with everything that's going on? You know, so that's a very interesting and just like question that I think nobody really has the right answer to. And it's going to be very interesting to see where the comic industry goes over the next 10 years. But my weird prediction is is that comic books are going to become more like vinyl records to where they're going to become more like special events. They're going to be more boutique. I kind of think that we are going to take a lot, a lot more tips from the manga market. I think I think 100 page giants might become more regular Mm -hmm. instead of just the 20 page single issue. And I think it's going to flip that way, one, because of shipping and also because of cost. Um, just because you can make more profit off a hundred page comic book than you can a twenty page comic book. like like a twenty page weekly comic book or a monthly comic book, like your profit margin is so razor thin. Whereas, like, you know, when you make one of those bigger hundred page giants or or even like what well, we did in a graphic novel, you know, you can make more profit off of that. And I think companies are going to see that. I think it's going to be easier on the creators. I think it's going to be easier on the retailers. I think it's going to be easier on the readers because I think it's going to lead to the thing that, I miss the most about comic books long runs between mm-hmm. creators. And if you, you know, if I get a hundred pages with the same art team and the same writer, oh, that's so much better to me than just getting 20 pages with this guy. And then I don't see that artist for like five issues. But that's where I, I, I really, I mean, that's a big reason why we decided to do Jeeper Jet and the Forgotten Radio as an OGN this time around because we were just like, we want people to get this as like a, a singular event. Just like, boom, here it is enjoy here's the new movie like like think like netflix of comics but i don't know those those are my crazy old man theories i'm sitting on my wooden chair on a porch yelling at comic book shops (laughs) uh ashley what do you think i actually think that a lot like what we're doing in jupiter jet the forgotten radio i think we are currently witnessing the comic book industry in a state of flux and a state of growth and I am choosing to look at that as a positive thing because... Oh, I am too, yeah. As I, 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 I just say that not to imply that Jason was not or that uh, you're not, James, but like I know a lot of people are looking at it like, this is dire, things have never been mm-hmm. so bad. I think adversity is the mother of all invention, and I think it can birth really beautiful and really powerful things unexpectedly. And I look, I've worked in comics as a creator. I've worked in the publishing side and I've worked in it retail side. And I think that that gives me a unique perspective. And I do think ultimately that moving to a more specialized boutique experience and a larger format is better for everyone. It's better for deadlines. I know there's a lot of the old school guard that are not into that. I know there's a lot of consumers that are not into that, but I think the shakeout is going to be hard. I think the next five years are going to be tough for the industry. And I think you're going to see a lot of people moving to a direct sales market mm-hmm. with something like Webtoons, with something like Kickstarter or any kind of crowdfunding platform. And look, there's look, there's already like little bitty folk like me and Jason there, but there's also superstars like Brett Booth is there. Jimmy Palmiotti and Amanda Connor are there. Mm-hmm. Like there, John Boy Myers did a Kickstarter book. Like there are top tier. Scott Snyder is on Kickstarter. Yep. There's top tier talent there, and that tells you a lot. I think about the health of the direct market right now and where it's going to go. But I don't think all is lost. I actually think this is a really exciting time for the industry. 
It's funny, you kind of read my mind there because I, I, I always felt like, you know, there's a common misconception that the readership just isn't there anymore. And then you go to a place like Kickstarter or other crowdfunding campaigns and it was like, all you have to do is look at these numbers and look at all these backers. And that tells you right, the readers are there. You just have to go get them and directly in that fashion might be the way to go. To let, and it also kind of lets creators create as it should be. Well, that's the big thing. That's what drew us to Kickstarter as well, because look, we all hate being told that you can do something. And the great thing about Kickstarter is it, it gets rid of the gatekeepers immediately. You right. can be like, oh, this crazy comic that I want to do about a teenager recording videos of Superman. Well, I'm just going to throw it straight to Kickstarter. Jan I, I am it. I am I in like, January. I am in January. Well played. Well played. <laughs> But, uh, but that's like a, also – so this is something that Jason has said for a long time. That's a beautiful thing about the internet and about Kickstarter specifically is it's egalitarian. So people will show up for your project or they won't. And just because they don't doesn't mean it's a failure. It might mean that it warrants another draft, another do-over, a revaluation of your marketing. But that is really cool that it has removed gatekeepers from – creative people with the with the who don't have agents i guess <laughs> yeah that's a good that's a good point too that's definitely a good point so before i let you guys go i know that you've dropped quite a few teases already i'm going to ask you for one more what's the best tease that you can both give us for volume through of jupiter jet and have you settled on a title yet we have not settled on a title <laughs> uh i will i will tell that i will say this it took us a while to get the title for volume two for a while, for a long time, this one was called Jupiter Jet and the Mystery of the Red Rocks. And and Forgotten Radio just like dropped into my head one day. And I was like, I literally pitched Ash. I was like, what about this? And we went with it because it sounded very Indiana Jones. Yeah, all of our titles wind up just being what it is. Kind of like Geek History Lesson. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I don't have a, t I don't, we don't have a title for volume three yet. But I can tell you that volume three, the biggest tease is you're going to see Earth. You're going to see what Earth is, what Earth looks like in this saga. And I don't think it's what people expected. You're going to learn the secret history of humanity in this universe. And, and I, I don't think many of our readers have any idea, because I will tell you this. There's an, there was a mystery that we put out front and center in volume one of Jupiter Jet, and nobody saw it. And that's the entirety of the plot line of Jupiter Jet and the Forgotten Radio. So we put a little bit of the mystery in Jeeper Jet and the Forgotten Radio of what Volume 3 is going to be in. And I'm very curious to see how many people catch on about it. But you're going to learn all about Earth. That's my big tease. Uh, I will also say that you are going to see a lot of stuff that we dropped in Volume 1 and Volume 2 start to coalesce. Because while we might not know a ton of details about Volume 3, we know a lot about Volume 5, which is the final volume. We know where all the characters wind up. We know who Jackie becomes romantically involved with, who people have met and no one has guessed yet, uh, and what happens to Chuck. And I think that we're going to start to see a lot of the weird little things that we've been dropping pay off, including a very specific panel from Volume 2 that I can't... I really hope our Twitter mentions just get flooded with people being like, what the heck is this? What does this mean? And I'll be like, you'll have to wait. And the coolest things, and one of the things I'm I'm the most proud about our book is one of the things I love about comic books is I love winking at the reader. And I love, you know, when you read a comic book, sometimes you feel like the comic book companies and the creators are literally talking right to you, which is the thing I, I always love, like Stan's soapbox. And I, I will, uh, this is minor spoilers, but not huge spoilers, but the end of volume two of Jupiter Jet, Jupiter Jet and the Forgotten Radio, it ends with four panels that you will see in Jupiter Jet volume three. And to me, they are really cool teases. And I love doing that. And I love doing that because like, I, I love comic books in the 90s and 80s doing that to me. And I loved it. I, and I, I always was always looking, when I was reading the comic books, I'd always be like, oh, where's that panel of Blue Beetle coming in? Where's that going to happen? Um, and we did that in volume one. And so I'm so excited and happy to do that again in volume two. So I hope you enjoy those teases. I hope you're intrigued by those teases. And if you are, please let us know and uh, we'll hurry up and title volume three as quick as we can. They're definitely going to be doing that because Jupiter Jet and the Forgotten Radio is out now. That is Volume 2. You can also grab Volume 1 if you have to track it down your local comic book store. Whatever you have to do, find it because you're going to want to get it. It's such a fun read. It'll be such an easy way easy way to just spend a weekend and just knock out these two volumes. It's These characters are just so much fun. 
and support them as well. It's Ashley V. Robinson, Jason Inman. Thank you so much for joining me this week. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. This week, the Down and Nerdy podcast is brought to you by Kobo from Rakuten. And here's the deal. This is the time where you're looking for great deals, right? Well, you almost can't get a better deal than a 30-day free trial and a free audiobook subscription trial from Kobo. And after the trial, it's only $12.99 per month for one monthly credit. And you can choose an audiobook from the catalog regardless of of the list price that's what the that's what the benefit is of the monthly subscription no matter what these audiobooks are and some of them are like 30 to 50 bucks but if you're a monthly subscriber your 12.99 gets you any title in that catalog for that price and you can always top off on credits as well and these audiobooks it really helps make the story come to life whether it be the character portrayals from the voice actors or even sometimes their their sound effects in there as well. And sometimes the books are even narrated by the authors themselves. You know they're going to put a little bit extra if it's their own work, right? I mean, you've got nonfiction here, you've got biography, you've got some memoir audiobooks. These are things that are going to leave lasting impressions. So if you love listening to this show, you're probably going to love one of the books on Kobo as well. You want to get started, you can visit Kobo.com slash down and nerdy. And start listening to Kobo audiobooks today. That's K-O-B-O dot com slash down and nerdy. And that is how you get a 30-day free trial of the subscription. And I think you're going to be hooked right off the bat. So if you're looking for a great deal, it is Black Friday after all. This is the start of the holiday season. You could treat yourself to the gift of Kobo. Thanks once again to Jason Inman and Ashley V. Robinson for joining me this week to talk about Jupiter Jet and the Forgotten Radio, which you should also get, too, by the way. Up next, how about we dive into the pages of even more comics? It's what we're reading next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey there, this is John Lehman. You are listening to Down and Nerdy Podcast. If you're looking for some new titles to gobble up, we got you covered. Whatever you're reading on, it's time for what we're reading and the other history of the DC Universe is finally here. The first issue from DC's Black Label, which seems like it's taken forever to get here, but it is now here. Written by John Ridley. You've got Giuseppe Camuncoli doing the layouts here. Andrea Cucci on the finishes here. We also have Jose Valarubia on the colors. Steve Wands on the letters. And Giuseppe Camuncoli joined on the cover by Marco Mastaz, Mastrazo, excuse me. So here's the deal. Gonna have to have some spoilers in this review. Just just gonna throw that out there just so you're ready. Now, this first book centers around Jefferson Pierce, of course, Black Lightning. And this is really a comprehensive beginning to not necessarily the end, but present of the story of Jefferson Pierce, or at least a certain present that exists in this story anyway. Now, if this were a graphic novel, it would definitely be considered more novel than graphic. There's a, there, uh, there's a lot of storytelling going on here in word form. It's not to say that, there's, that there isn't some great art in this, because there is. The, the art has a really nice throwback style, which really suited the storytelling, and as far back as we went, too, by the way. It just made sense to do that, but just get ready. I mean, this is a solid long read too, man. This is, this almost reads like a, this almost has like novella attached to it. Not in necessarily the style, but the, there's going to be a lot more reading than your standard comic, even extended issue. Just going to prepare you for that. Now we get to see Jefferson's struggles. We get to see his cynicism, the, the, the spiral that he was unknowingly in you know, how he hits rock bottom at a certain point, his realization, and his kind of ultimate clarity, for lack of the way of, of putting it. And I will admit, and, and, and just fully cards on the table here, as I was reading through this, especially at the beginning, I was kind of reluctant because I kind of felt at the time like this was one of those stories that I couldn't truly understand as a white man. This Like, this wasn't my experience so but then at the same time I felt like there was kind of a learning moment there in a way even if it was through the eyes of a fictional character 
I mean, you could even say that there are some hard truths for both the reader and Jefferson in this story, depending on your own story, your perspective, and what you've gone through in your life as well. And this story actually does a really good job of putting things into perspective just in general. And you could see how the views that Jefferson has changes because of certain circumstances that happens in his life. And it's almost a, there's almost a commentary here about, you know, keeping your eyes open and considering all angles and not closing your mind to any possibilities, certain things like that. And again, I'm not, I'm not putting, you know, words in John Ridley's mouth here, absolutely not, or anybody involved in the book, but it, it was very much a, this wasn't a one-sided perspective. This was not a singular way of thinking in its in, in the way that this story was presented. And I think that that was, I mean, how we see Jefferson get to the point that he is as we get towards the end of the story, I think was a, an amazing journey the way that it was told and the way it ultimately came together in the end. There's a lot of anger early on, I will tell you that. But there are also moments of, of amazing brightness. And you're kind of left knowing why Jefferson felt the way he did, whether you agree with him or not. That is one thing that is that is very clear. But then you also, this is also another one of those things where you're going to either feel for Jefferson or you're not, based on what you get out of reading this story. But I got to tell you, this this is definitely one of those stories that was worth the wait. You can you can it's it's plainly obvious how amazing of a writer John Ridley is and how well this was thought through and how well this was crafted and put together. I mean, and the layouts by Kamenkolia also very, very good. Everybody involved in the art team did a fantastic job. And this really was the story of not just Jefferson Pierce, but certain events happening throughout the DC universe through the eyes of Jefferson Pierce and you know the, the the level of frustration that he that he felt at certain times but then also levels of of joy at certain points as well that he experienced so th- this this really does come all the way full circle so if you haven't read the other history of the DC universe yet the the first issue from DC Black Label go ahead and grab it it is an absolutely worthwhile read and I think you're going to enjoy it Something actually pretty big happened in Fantastic Four, antithesis number four, this week from Marvel. Let's get to the creative team first. Mark Wade and Neil Adams doing the story here. Mark Farmer on the art, Laura Martin on the colors, and VCs Joe Caramagna on the letters. Now, again, some spoilers in this, especially with it being the fourth issue. You kind of know if you've been reading it where this story's been going. Now, the Fantastic Four have kind of banished... Antithesis, who you know is a is it was a powerful, powerful foe. But then Reed has kind of taken over the power cosmic and is now Galactus. That is the biggest spoiler of this entire story. Now, even more crazy is he's kind of chosen chosen not to feed. That, that that's the whole point of Galactus feeds on planets, right? We we know this, but at the same time. If he doesn't feed, Galactus dies with him. And that's the crazy part about this story. And this final issue is really centered around, you know, like a, what do we do? Because you know his family's not just going to accept that, right? They're not just going to say, all right, roll read if you think that's what's best. No, they're not just going to sit there and take that. I mean, whether you agree with that or not, that's they're just not going to go there. And what was left of Galactus, who is, who is Galan, if you haven't been reading, the issue now Galan isn't in a hurry to take back this thing either I mean knowing what a burden it was being Galactus you he wouldn't didn't really want to take that back on so they're kind of seeking help from someone else who might be able to kind of enhance the power of Silver Surfer and really help the situation out a little bit now this is a different kind of battle in a way though and the way that the the end of the story played out, I think, was very satisfying. That's just that's just my opinion. I think that the way this the whole thing sh- shook out was very satisfying, and, and it wasn't the usual way that you would see a final issue end 
uh, of a series, if that makes sense, right? The, of a way the story's rounded out. Obviously, this this story itself is going to continue in some way, shape, or form. But this fourth issue ending this particular chapter of this story, but there obviously you saw what happened at the end. If you read it, you know where this you know this might be going. If not in the near future, at some point in the future, they're going to come back to this. I think Fantastic Four fans will appreciate how they handled this whole situation. I know you could see the whole Reed Richards' Galactus thing, and you go, really? Come on. Are you going to do that? You're just going to throw that on there? Is this just a cheap grab for, you know, just shock value? No, it actually wasn't. It actually ended up working out even better than I thought it was. The art looked especially great, by the way, on any panel with Galactus or Silver Surfer on there. No disrespect to the, any of the other Fantastic Four characters, but those were the ones, when they were on the page, they jumped off the page. You could not notice them. And not just because of Galactus's larger-than-life stature, too, by the way. The only question left is, how many casual fans will make a connection? That's the other thing, though. That, I mean, if you're not a Fantastic Four fan, are you going to connect with this book on the level that you should. Definitely worth finding out for yourself, though. Grab your copy. Uh, start at issue one, though, so you're not lost. You you're, you won't be lost completely if you just grabbed issue four, but you should probably read the whole series up to this point. Fantastic Four Antithesis from Marvel Comics. Definitely worth a read. That's going to do it for what we're reading. Up next, not a whole lot of nerd news on Thanksgiving week, but we'll tackle what's there. I'm James Witham, and this is the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Yo, yo, this is Cam Rush Johnson from the cast of Bad Woman. You are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. From what we've seen so far, it looks like this season of Titans is going to be straight up fire. It's time for nerd news. And check this out. Have you seen the new look for Anna Duob's Starfire coming up for season three of Titans? It was released this week by Warner Brothers and HBO Max. I got to tell you. I mean, I, I know fans complained about the look in season one. And there's been a lot of chatter about Starfire, but you, you see the look, not just the concept art, but the photo that they released of Anna in the suit. I mean, it is a fantastically colorful and detailed suit. It just pops so much. And I, I loved it. The first, the second I saw it, I loved it. And since you already, this isn't one of those things where, you know, you're seeing a character for the first time, but, but you haven't actually experienced the character in the show yet before we already know what Anna's all about, what Starfire is all about. So, so seeing this suit, we already know what to expect from the character. Now this suit just completely takes it up a notch. Like, I think that this is something that I know I've been waiting for from Titans and a lot of other fans have been waiting for as well. And now you finally get this. This really is a way to round out the character the way I think they could have done this in season two, and but now they're doing it in season three, so it's like okay, I've got I've got nothing to, to complain about because now it's finally here, finally here. This new suit is finally here, and it looks great. I got to tell you, tip of the cap to the designer of this new suit, and and a name that you've probably heard before, Laura Jean Shannon. LJ does it again because another winner. And I got to tell you, we haven't even—we saw the Red Hood suit revealed a couple of weeks ago too, right? Now we get Starfire. We haven't even seen Scarecrow. We haven't even seen Barbara Gordon yet. Now she's not going to be Batgirl, but still, she's going to be, you know, Commissioner Barbara Gordon. But still, I got to tell you, so far, two amazing suit reveals for season three of Titans. Maybe you started watching. The, uh, maybe you've already started watching Titans on HBO Max because you didn't see it on DC Universe. Maybe you're watching it on HBO Max here over the Thanksgiving weekend. You're binging it. Hopefully you're enjoying it because the first two seasons were amazing. And I just can't wait for season three in 2021. There's so many things to look forward to in this season. And these latest two costume reveals just shows me that HBO Max is going all out to make Titans a huge success. Cannot wait to see more of this. This news from the Arrowverse, though, not as great, and has been a lot of great news for fans of Black Lightning lately. And, you know, this show is going to be ending after its fourth upcoming fourth season. And then we get news that China Ann McClain, she actually announced this on her own Instagram page, that she's going to be in very limited episodes 
of this upcoming fourth season. But it goes a little bit beyond that, but I'll get to that in a second. She basically said she's going to be in limited episodes. She found out that the show was going to be ending just like we did, which kind of sucks. But you know what? Let's let's push past that right now. And she also said that you know there's not this has nothing to do with you know any tension behind the scenes of the with the crew or the cast anything like that. And that this was a decision she was going to make regardless of whether or not the show was going to be ending. But if you watch. The video, and it was about what, like 15 minutes long or something like that, 12 minutes. She's really, I mean, she's definitely speaking from the heart, first of all. Second of all, she seems pretty just fed up with Hollywood in general. I'm paraphrasing here, saying, you know, that the work, you know, it doesn't really matter with everything that people are going through in the pandemic. And and it seems like she's doing a lot of soul searching. And she said that she's going to focus do, on doing more of God's work. And that's what she wants to do. And and I know that, you know, the fans have been very supportive. Of course, her her fellow castmates have been very supportive. She was very supportive as well, talking about the Painkiller series, which now we know she will not be a part of. What's going to be coming up on the CW, the spinoff, and wished everybody on that the best of luck. She's had nothing but great things to say about working on Black Lightning and the people that she was working with. So it's clearly not that. But I, I just feel like, you know, this time during the pandemic, she's gotten to do a lot of soul searching. And, you know, you kind of look within sometimes and realize that maybe you should be doing something else. And it seems like, and I'm not going to put words in her mouth, obviously, but it seems like that's just kind of how she feels. She's ready to move on, at least in the short term. I mean, we've seen stuff like this before, right? Not and every situation is different, so I'm not saying that, you know, that these were under the same circumstances, but, you know, we saw Colton Hayes take a break from Arrow for a while, too, right? Remember that? When when he when he left the show, and then he ultimately ended up coming back to the show. Now, I'm not saying that that is going to happen in this case as well. I mean, for all we know, that China Ann McClain could just decide that she's done with acting entirely and just, you know, ride off into the sunset, so to speak. But, I mean, it's not like it would, this would be the first time that somebody said that she was going to walk away, said that they were going to walk away, and they and, and they ended up coming back. Colton Haynes certainly did that, and he's worked, he worked on other stuff as well in between a little bit. But, you know, these are not easy series to work on, these superhero series, for a lot of different reasons. You know, there's a lot of pressure involved. There's, there's a lot. It's long, hard work. And it's hard to it's hard to see that and understand that when, you know, being a fan and not being able to experience how these things are done. We get little peeks behind the scenes every now and then and stuff. But the, this is really grueling work. And, you know, it's, I've, when I've talked to some of these, you know, actors in, that are that work on these shows talking about, you know, like 4 a.m. wake up calls and and shooting in the middle of the night at like two o'clock in the morning and things like that, that's taxing and you know, you still get a certain amount of rest, but it's it's hard work, for sure. And 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 if she feels like she needs to focus on a higher calling at this point and do something that she feels makes more of a difference, then then absolutely, that's what she needs to do for herself. So hey, best of luck to her. Hopefully, we see her back. She's an amazing actor, and I hope that we do see her back in something at some point. It doesn't necessarily have to be Black Lightning, but but I just hope that we get to see. China and McLean again because she's been so good in, in more than just Black Lightning too. So I really hope that you know I'm glad that she's doing what she wants to do, but I hope definitely hope that we see her again. Something that we will see again is Fantastic Beasts three. Of course, it's been delayed. And we talked about the Johnny Depp thing, and now we do have a confirmation that we can give. According to Deadline, Mads Mikkelsen will indeed replace Johnny Depp. In Fantastic Beasts 3, as Grindelwald, that is a sign-sealed and delivered deal. As a matter of fact, Warner Brothers has already confirmed this because it leaked out. And they're like, well, you know, if it leaked out, we might as well go ahead and confirm it. I mean, they were the rumors had already started. Anyway, right when the right when the news of Johnny Depp's exit broke anyway. So, and I, I said this before, I'll go ahead and, and say it again, though. This seems like a really good transition. I mean, first of all, Mads Mikkelsen, an incredible actor. Second of all, he's got a he's got a good look for the part. 
He's got the he's got similar mannerisms. He might actually be able to take this up a notch. I mean, I know that there's some some diehard Johnny Depp fans, okay? And I'm I'm not gonna get in your way. I know I know that you're gonna you you might at me for this, but Mads Mickelson, a fantastic actor in his own right, and can do just as good, if not better, in this part. I actually think he just might be better suited for this particular role. And and that's just my gut talking. I have no facts and figures to back this up. I'm just saying it seems to me like he might be a little bit better suited for this role, and I think he's going to fit right in on this thing. So I'm very excited to see what Matt Mickelson's going to be bringing to the table for Fantastic Beasts three, not really a whole much, not really a whole lot we can more we can say about that until we actually see some footage, though, right? So we'll have to wait and see where that goes. And I could end up being totally wrong, and if I am, I'll be the first one to admit it. But I don't think I'm going to be on this particular case. Here's something that I, I got to tell you, I I rolled a little bit when I when I heard part of the story, but let, let's get to the meat of it, shall we? Joss Whedon is going to be leaving. The production of The Nevers, which was which is a sci-fi series is going to be coming to HBO next summer. And he was actually supposed to co-write the thing and direct it as well. And if you don't know about The Nevers, talked about this a while ago when the show was first announced. It's basically it's it's a sci-fi drama about a gang of Victorian women kind of find themselves with unusual abilities. And then there's there's these crazy enemies that they have to fight. And they have, they go on these missions that might change the world and things like that. That's that's kind of the gist of it. Laura Donnelly is set to star in it. You remember her from Outlander. It was an amazing cast. I, I know I've talked about it on the podcast before. And if you want to learn more about the Nevers, you can go to downandnerdypodcast.com as well and just search the Nevers. And I got the I've got the announcement for when the show was originally talked about in 2018. I think it was. So it's been a while. But Joss Whedon's going to be leaving that now. Here's the deal. You know, everybody puts out their press releases and stuff like that. But, but I got to say, one of the things that Joss Whedon said, and this was first reported by Cinema Blend, by the way, one of the things Joss Whedon said I thought was really interesting. And he said, and here's a quote, and I don't normally read things, I don't, don't normally read things word for word, but I want to read you this quote. I am genuinely exhausted and am stepping back to marshal my energy towards my own life which is also at the brink of exciting change. I am deeply proud of the work I've done. I'm grateful to all my extraordinary cast and collaborators and to HBO for the opportunity to shape yet another strange world. And I was like, genuinely exhausted? Really? From what exactly? And again, you know what? You do you. If you feel like you're exhausted for any particular reason, and you feel like you just need to take a step back, you do you. So I'm just going to put that out there right now before I go ahead and kind of trash him for this. If, if you feel like you need to take a step back, take a step back. And, and he gives the whole, the, there was part of it uh, before that where he says something about, you know, he, he this is, you know, like a huge undertaking, especially in the pandemic. And she, he doesn't think he can handle it without the work beginning to suffer. Gee, I wonder if he should have made maybe had that same realization about Justice League way back when. Maybe he could have taken a step back from that as well. But it's like, really, dude? Like, come on, man. This is, you know, if you're not ready for something that's this big, then maybe this is one of those times where you need to take a step back and start doing smaller stuff, quite frankly. And I know that Joss Whedon's been a part of some big stuff over the years. But you can only ride on reputation for so long, if you ask me. And I feel like Joss Whedon's been riding on reputation for a while now. And it's time to open open our eyes and realize that he hasn't really done anything of any significance and done it well in a long time. And maybe it's it's us that should be exhausted with Joss Whedon at this point, quite frankly. And, and, and I don't know. And Ray Fisher comes out and says, you know, that this has something to do with the investigation, everything that's going on with, with all that behind the scenes. And I'm certainly not going to be commenting on any ongoing investigation here. And whether that's true or not, I, I don't think we'll ever really know. And I'm not saying that Ray Fisher's making this up either, you know. But I'm just saying that, you know, I don't think we'll ever really know whether or not this particular exit has to do with any investigation going on with, with Warner Brothers and everything that happened on the set 
of Justice League that Ray Fisher's been talking about or not. I, I cannot say that. At the same time, again, I just have to say that if, if this is exhausting for Joss Whedon, then, and in the pandemic, you know what, it's going to be hard for everybody. It's going to be hard to, to shoot almost anything during a pandemic. I understand that a sci-fi series like this might be a little bit more difficult, but look at everybody who's kicking ass on sets all over the world right now, making shows that are very difficult and very intensive and who are up for the challenge. You would think somebody with the pedigree of Joss Whedon and who is, that has done what he has done over the years would be up for a challenge like this. And I got to tell you, if I'm thinking about hiring Joss Whedon to do anything for me, at this point, whether it be television or movies or anything like that, I'm thinking twice after he says he's genuinely exhausted and think the work's going to suffer because this is happening during a pandemic. So he thinks there's somebody that's better for this job. And at this point, if that's how he feels, I couldn't agree more. So I'm really looking forward to The Nevers. Supposed to be coming out in the summer of 2021 on HBO We'll have to wait and see on that because of this particular exit. We'll see if that changes things and if any other changes are made on the show. But I don't think they'll have a problem finding somebody who's going to be really gung-ho about wanting to do this and wanting to do it very well and, and not afraid to take up this particular challenge. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Again, I want to thank sponsor Kobo this week. Make sure you go to Kobo.com. That's K-O-B-O dot com slash down and nerdy get three 30 days subscription for free and get that audiobook and start enjoying all the amazing deals and amazing stories that you can find on Kobo make sure you follow us on social media as well at down and nerdy 757 on Twitter and on Instagram and facebook.com slash down and nerdy get yourself a copy of the forgotten Jupiter jet and the forgotten radio as well from Jason Inman and Ashley V. Robinson, who was so amazing to talk to them this week. And if you ever want any more information on us, always go to downandnerdypodcast.com. Remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd, so let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds. And by the way, happy Thanksgiving.